Well, so glad you chose to be with us here on Easter morning and celebrating our risen Lord and what a, a day of celebration that is. We've, for the last couple of months, been in this series working through the book of Mark, which is an account of Jesus' life. And, and really, as I was thinking about that series, it all builds towards this climax, this idea of Jesus having victory over death and providing the opportunity for life for each one of us. I want to invite you now just to turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you or a phone that has it on it, you can use the one from the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, consider that Bible as a gift from us today. If you don't mind turning with me to chapter 16 in the book of Mark, and we're going to just touch on the resurrection account just briefly. Verse 1 in Mark 16, the account of how it played itself out. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, referring to Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Let's stop there. You think about that account and what actually played out there. How exciting that would be. I was thinking especially for the mother of Jesus, who was one of the three ladies there that had just watched three days prior, watching her own son. Anybody with a son here? can't imagine having watching and observing your own son murdered on a terrible cross then hearing the good news listen he's not here anymore this angel saying listen he, he's gone just like he told you he has risen there's a degree of excitement that can't be explained in a in a sermon or by a preacher there's something that 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 must have just radiated throughout those ladies that they couldn't contain it the excitement. If you think about it, even this last week, the excitement. I've been just on, on Facebook. I know every once in a while I, I, I dabble in the, in the Facebook thing. And, uh, and seeing how many different posts, so many people excited about Easter. Tim Keller points out everybody gets excited about Easter. They love the idea of it. The inspiring part of it, of life after death, a new beginning after disaster. Spring flowers after a long winter, maybe not here. <laughs> Hope for better days ahead. You hear about Easter and it instills this excitement. But, but really, if we're honest, lots of people get excited of the idea of Easter, but forget that was actually a reality, an actual historic event. Jesus Christ God in the flesh, God in the earth suit, if you will, came, lived amongst us, lived the perfect life, died as a sacrifice, but then didn't stay dead, chose to rise again. 
providing victory over death. A lot of us spiritualize this message and miss that it actually happened. The 12 disciples after this account go on to see Jesus. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says that over 500 people witness the resurrected Christ. That's a hard thing to, to put under a, 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 a surprise for people or, or something to be tricked, people to be tricked into. You can't fake a resurrection. He came back to life. He literally came back to life. Like flesh and bones, he came back to life. The question, 2,000 years later, that if we're here and we're honest with ourselves, the question that we have to ask is, okay, that's, that's pretty cool, pretty impressive, but how does that relate to me, right? That's the question. How does that relate to me 2,000 years later? There's a verse growing up that really has stuck in my mind. It intrigued me the first time I heard it, and it still captures my attention many years later. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came. In other words, this is his mission statement. He's explaining to you and me why he showed up. Why he came down to this imperfect, fallen, rebellious world why he put his, his, his extreme power on the shelf as a toddler, why he put up with three, I'm sorry, 12 wishy-washy disciples, why he hung on a cruel Roman cross is all captured in that verse. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why did he do this? He knew that what he was doing there had an influence on us thousands of years later. And he used the term, that, pretty impressive there, abundant life. Have you ever noticed that depending on who is saying a word, it depends on who's saying it, the, the degree of weight that we attach to it. My youngest daughter, Sienna, she was the one on the end of the choir here with glasses that had the same dance moves her dad has, and uh, uh, minimal at best. But uh, she's picked up the word recently, the word awesome. And she starts using that for a lot of things. And it has a little bit of a California twang to it, if there's such a thing. That's awesome. She says, that's awesome. Now, when my daughter is six and says something's awesome, uh, it's a little different than if you take, for instance, Bill Gates, and he sees something, and he says, that is awesome. You'd probably carry the weight of that as this great uh, inventor of the internet. Maybe that was Al Gore. But uh, uh, the, 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 what Bill Gates says, you carry a little bit more weight on that because of what he's done in the technological field. But you think about that, you carry that an another step further. If I say something, man, that seems really difficult. You think, oh, that's probably challenging. But if Einstein says that is very difficult. There, there's a little bit more weight to that. And the same idea here with the words abundant life. If a fisherman of that day and time said, you're going to experience abundant life, you're like, yeah, okay. But what if the God of the universe, the one that spoke things into existence, the one that created all, the one that designed your hands, your, your, your hair, or lack of, or, or everything around you, what if the designer, the creator of all of that tells you, I came so that you could have a 
abundant life. All of a sudden, the weight of that word abundant carries a little bit more, right? The word abundant in the Greek actually means, I like the definition uh, given here, it's perison is the, is the actual word. It means super abundant. I thought that was funny. Like who adds the word super in front of this word you're trying to define? That, that, that shows a little bit of something of how impressive it is or otherwise known as overflowing or more than one ever expected is the definition of abundant. That's what Christ came for. He came to create the potential for abundant life. Not talking about money, health, or success. He came that we could actually truly live in the in this real sense of the word, infinitely beyond what is temporal. So two questions that we're going to address this morning. The first one is this, what does abundant life look like? Okay, he says that that's why he showed up. He came so that we'd experience it. The question is, what does abundant life look like? And then if you're actually attracted to that idea of abundant life, how do I take hold of this offer? So we're going to address both of those questions here briefly this morning. Let me pray for us before we do. God, we thank you this morning for the reason that we come together and celebrate your work on the cross, your victory over death, your invitation and offer to each of us to experience abundant life. God, we ask that you'd speak through this verse, that you'd speak through me, that you'd be great, I'd be small. And this idea of abundant life might actually capture us. It might be something worth pursuing. We invite you now to speak to us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So first question, what does this abundant life look like? If you look around us, it doesn't seem here in Rabbit Valley that very many people are necessarily experiencing. You think about it, the degree of uh, depression, the degree of addiction, despair, self-pity, countless forms of escapism in this whole uh, a region, you're like, wait a second, abundant life, who's actually experiencing it? It doesn't seem like it's a common thing. There's more of a general discontentment with life. Even those with an abundance of things aren't necessarily experiencing abundant life. Saw this quote this week from Paul Getty. Do you recognize that name? He has the museum. At one point, he was considered the wealthiest person on the planet. I thought that was interesting. In the early 70s, he had a net worth over, over a couple billion dollars. And this was his, one of his statements about his abundant life. He says, I hate and regret the failure of my marriages. I would gladly give all my millions for just one lasting marital success. Isn't that interesting? From Paul Getty, not realizing, though, even with a great marriage, that doesn't guarantee abundant life. The one relationship, and that's what we're talking about here this morning, the one thing that satisfies, the one thing that keeps us from having a hopeless existence is Jesus Christ. Existence absent of him is really kind of pointless. It's about gathering stuff. It's about maybe acquiring a few things, gaining some prestige, some cool experiences. Kind of a, a pointless, hopeless existence. That's why I would propose, what does abundant life look like? The first thing I'd propose is abundant life starts with a relationship. It starts with a relationship. 
John 17, 3 says these words, says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's experiencing abundant life. It has to start with that relationship, and everything else stems out of that. You see, this is the gospel message, this is the Easter story, is that our relationship with God that we were designed for, we were created for, was severed because of our sin. Do you guys know this, the the gospel message? Our sin separated us from a perfect God. Because of that separation, the majority of the planet is living in a separated state from Almighty God. God didn't leave us in that situation. He intervened. He came down, lived the perfect life, died as a sacrifice, absorbing our sin, but bearing it all on his back so that we had the potential to have that relationship restored. That's the gospel message. That's what we're celebrating here on Easter morning, that he has risen, that he had victory over death, and we could have that relationship restored. But it's just the potential for that. It's just an offer. We have to seize that. We have to accept that free gift and begin renewing and rebuilding that relationship. Like any relationship, it's one that you have to invest in. It's one that you have to put work in. It has to be the primary relationship that everything else stems out of. You think about it, about even in your own marriage, all of those things take work. In your relationship with God, it's about a conversation. When you hear in church world, we use terms like prayer. Imagine that, a conversation with God. Talking, The conversation goes both ways. We're actually hearing what he has to say through his word or through his prompting of his Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's a dynamic of an ongoing relationship, and everything else stems out of that. 1 Corinthians 2.9 describes that relationship. It says, it says this, No eye has seen nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. I can imagine some pretty crazy stuff. It says the heart of man hasn't imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Again, back to abundant life. What he has prepared for those of us that love him. You see, when you're in a relationship, when you're in a relationship where you, you love somebody, there's not a lot of convincing to hang out with them. I remember when my wife Adrian and I first started dating, and I remember seeing her eyes met across the room, you know, the romantic story. And uh, I remember for months of us dating, there was literally bags under my eyes from like the late nights up talking, the long goodbyes. Do you guys remember this in the dating days? Like no one had to talk me into hanging out with Adrian. I was looking forward to our honeymoon so I could get a nap and catch up on my sleep. And, uh, and, and so, so, but the truth is, when you're in love with somebody, you're always open to the offer to spend time with them. Yesterday afternoon, after kind of the Easter festivities here in the morning, Stephanie, who's so super kind with this stuff, said, why don't I take the kids for a few hours and you just have some time with Adrian? I'm like, Yes, please. That would be great. So we went on this super romantic time at, at Home Depot and uh, got, so, got some errands done. Anybody else been on that date with your spouse recently? You, you see, you see the, the truth is it all stems out of relationship. We could talk for hours here this morning, but that's got to be the starting point of abundant life. It's the starting point and the end point I would propose. So it starts with a relationship, and I would, the next thing, if you're the note taker in the group, it's usually uh, my wife that does that. But in the, se- the second one there is abundant life 
sticks with the plan. Let me explain what I mean by that. Christians are typically considered, unfortunately, kind of dull and boring and rigid people. Is this true confession? We're kind of known as that. And I'm, like, I'm like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure that God Almighty didn't hang on a cross so that I could have that kind of life and existence. I'm not sure that that was the invitation when he was calling us to abundant living. Anybody else question that? Whether that was what we were called to? Abundant life, I would propose, has parameters within, within it for sure, but it's to experience the fullness and seeing God at, at move, moving and at work in the world around us and, and, and joining him in what he's doing and observing how he provides and cares for us and meets our needs. John 15, 11, Jesus described this. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What things was he speaking to him? He had just finished saying how important it is to abide in his commandments. Abide, to live in them, to live within the plan that he's established. There's so much potential for abundant life when we actually stay within the boundaries of what he's established and set up. I'll share a somewhat silly illustration. I'm not even sure if this works, but I'm going to go there anyway. So this about a, a week and a half ago on a Friday, uh, my wife and I came home. Have you done this before? Came home to a broken refrigerator. It has a little temperature gauge inside. You look, open it up, look inside, and uh, the gauge is at like 67 degrees. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not the temperature my meat's supposed to be at. And, uh, and, and so we're like... But then we're looking at the clock. We get home at like 5.45, and our life group, I love life groups, it starts at 6. So we come to this crossroads. We're, we, you've got scripture played in the back of my mind, do not forsake the assembly of believers. And so we, uh, so we made that choice in that moment. That's the stretch to make this connect. Uh, we made that, that moment to stay within the parameters. We're like, we're not going to neglect the, 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 the people to care for our food. The food will take care of itself. So we went to Life Group, pretended like it didn't even happen. We just said, you know, we're just going to do this. And I, I remember the God provides for the sparrows, so we're going to be all right. We came home, and guess what happened? All of our food was shot. It was all, do it was all done. And, and, and so that, that started the adventure of a camp-out weekend, of living off of very simply... But then the cheapskate side, I mean, here's, the, here's where it gets better. So we stuck with the, the community part. That was great. The cheapskate side of me kicked in and said, I'm not buying a fridge at Best Buy. I'm going to the wonderful world of Craigslist. That's right. Some people, you, there's Craigslisters in here. See how God's hand moves in Craigslist. And, uh, and so there's a stretch. Uh, and, and so we started calling around, checking out on uh, different fridges. Adrian calls this woman. This is somehow to see how God's hand works in the craziness of, of life, even with broken refrigerators. She calls this woman. She starts explaining to Adrian all the, the horrible things that have happened in the last couple months to her and her family. Somebody had passed away. And Adrian says to her, let me take a minute and just pray for you. Is that okay? Lady's like, cuckoo, sure. And so, so she ends up praying with this woman on the phone about, about over a refrigerator. You're like, wait a second, how God can use the weird stuff and the hard stuff of life to, to use for his glory and his honor. She prayed with her on the phone at the end, but she wanted too much for the fridge, so we didn't buy that one. Uh, and so, 
And so we, go, we continue our, our adventure. And we pick up the phone. We talk to another woman in Westlake, in Westlake Village. She had a nice stainless steel fridge. Here's a little side note. This is a real tangent. I've always wanted a fridge with an ice crushing machine on it. You know the ones that leaves the crushed ice? I love adding orange juice to that. Very good. So, so I find this one. It has a crushed ice machine, but the lady says, but the buttons are really beat up on it. Well, I can deal with some buttons. I go there to buy this stainless steel fridge for 300 bucks. We're going to share it for not bad, right? GE fridge. Show up. I peel off the plastic layer that's on the top of the buttons, and it's brand new. I walk out with a new GE fridge. God's provision. So we take this one step further, seeing God care for us and take care of our needs and meet, meet them. Adrian posts on Facebook, back to Facebook. It all leads back to Facebook. On Facebook, how fun it's been camping for the weekend with no fridge. One of, some friends from the church see that and say, well, we don't want you to not have food. They bought a cooler, filled it up to the brim with food, and brought it over to our house, all because we didn't forsake the assembly, you know? Like, it came, <laughs> it came full circle. My point in this is, one, I wanted to tell the fridge story. Two, <laughs> when you actually start to slow down and observe God's faithfulness in your life, his fingerprints are all over the place. We have abundant life. How often we miss because of pace of life, because of who knows what, how God meets, needs, cares for us. You're like, he's like, you have abundant life. Why don't you just stop and actually notice it? Why don't you actually stop and notice it? Think about the different parameters that God puts in place. I was thinking about some of the things he calls us to. It's really not all that terrible. Serving people, loving people, doing acts of kindness, love God, love people, uh, don't, don't do this, don't steal, don't rob. Like You start thinking about the guidelines of what he's put in place for his plan for you. You're like, wait a second, this isn't such a bad existence. This isn't so terrible. How about this one? How about the addition of the Sabbath? Like, that was God's idea. Naps. Anybody else like naps in here? Like, are you serious? Like, that's part of God's plan, his best for us. I was reading a, amen is right. I was reading a book uh, recently. We're going through it with our staff and with our elder team. It's called Love Does. I recommend this book. It's by uh, a professor, actually, uh, over at Pepperdine and by the name of Bob Goff. And he goes through different accounts of all of the ways that he's trying to live radically and, and, and live out this whole idea of staying within the parameters. But in what he described, I, I liked, I loved it. He described himself as trying to be secretly incredible. Secretly incredible. He talked about how Jesus, how often after he'd heal somebody, he would say this to the person, he just gave them new sight or healed this. He'd be like, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I was like, what an adventure that brings to somebody's life if all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I'm about being secretly incredible, trying to serve people, meet people's needs, meet them exactly where they're at. It's an awesome invitation to abundant life. I like one of the quotes in his book there. He said this. He says, hug everybody. We aren't on a business trip. I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> hug everybody. We aren't on a business trip. This idea of, of making little choices to be in the moment, meeting people's needs, serving people, that's a part of abundant living, like the idea of choosing alternate endings to situations in your day. Think about how many crossroads you come to where you're like, I could do what's expected here, 
or I could do something radically, some kind of radical love for this person, and man, that'll add some adventure to my day. You think about somebody sitting there reading Facebook and said, hey, they need some food. Let's run out, buy a cooler. Let's go to a grocery store. We'll add ice to it. We'll fill it up with food. We'll show up at, at 1030 and ring their doorbell and bring it to their house. I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a radical way. That's abundant living that we're invited to. Are we experiencing it? So abundant life sticks with his plan. Last one. Abundant life celebrates the future. Abundant life celebrates the future. We're, we're uh, drawn to and captivated, if you notice on the big screen, how many things make it to the movies that are talking about some degree of a superhero. Think about it. Think about how many things have made it to the big screen, whether it's Captain America or Iron Man or will you fill in whoever it is. We're drawn to the idea of those characters that are what? Invincible. There's nothing you can do to stop them. There's, they're, they're in, you can't, there's nothing you can do that can phase Captain America. Like, he's got the shield, he's got the strength. He used to be a nerd, but now he's big and strong. Like, like you can't stop this guy. You're drawn to that idea of being invincible. What I would propose this morning, part, about, part of abundant life, is recognizing that as a Christ follower, you're also invincible. Wait a second, the ears are perking up for a second here. Invincible, tell me more about this. Think about this for a second. When I fix my eyes on eternity, knowing of what's to come, if I'm a follower of Christ, when he starts making statements that I can't even imagine what he has in store for me, when I have my eyes fixed on eternity, when I, I, I'm no longer afraid of death, when I'm no longer wondering about why I'm here, why I exist, when I have my eyes on eternity, all of a sudden, I'm invincible. Because the things of this earth, the trials, the drama, the hardships, you're like, well, this is, if this is the worst it's ever going to get, if it, the worst it's going to ever get for me, that's not too bad. When you're clinging to the hope of eternity, what God, what God has in store for us. That's what I'm talking about when I say abundant life celebrates the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? When you're no longer gripped by fear of death, you really start to live with abandon. Don't hear me. I'm not saying go play in traffic this afternoon, like running across the 101, but I'm saying the degree of abandon that comes and the freedom that comes when you have your eternity secured, when that relationship that was severed has been restored. Back to John 10.10. 10. thought it was interesting. He doesn't force this abundant life on us. It says that he came that they may have life abundantly. That they may. In other words, it's not a guarantee that each one of us experience it. It's an offer, if you will. It's a choice that we make. So the second question, and we'll be brief on this, how do I take hold of the offer? How do I take hold of abundant life? How do I receive that free gift? Interesting story in Scripture I was pointing to the, pointed to this week in Acts 17, where Paul, one of the early church leaders, went to Athens 
to speak to some of the philosophers of that day. Guys that kind of hung out all day and talked about the meaning of life and the purpose of things and wrestled through all of that together. Great intellectual group. And at first we see in the chapter, it's a great read if you have some time this week, that he introduces the idea of the forgotten God and they're intrigued by this idea. But then in verse 30, he comes to this point where they're pushed to make a conclusion or come to a decision of what to do with Jesus Christ. Verse 30 says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It's interesting to watch. He points them to the fact that at some point we're going to all give an account to Jesus Christ as to what we did with his free offer of abundant life. Some people said, no thanks, I'm going to do my own thing. But here he calls them out to that point of decision. And what I thought was interesting about that when I was actually hearing a speaker talk on it this week is how uncomfortable people get at the idea that maybe the search is over. Maybe the search is over. What if, and I wouldn't say what if, I'd say he is, Jesus is the answer to all the questions, all the wrestling through, all the debates, all the psychological babble. What if he's the answer? What if he's the abundant life? You can no longer hide under the umbrella of, you know what? I'm just searching. I'm trying to figure it out. Basically, searching is a, is a way to hide and say, you know what? I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I can do what I want when I'm under the umbrella of just searching, right? But here they're pushed to make a choice, to come to a decision. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What if he is the answer? And this morning as we're celebrating Easter, as we're cheering, we're shouting out, he is risen, it all points to that. It all points that he is the savior that we desperately need. He is the answer. He is the potential for abundant life. So again, back to the question, how do we seize that? It was fun yesterday, if any of you were here for the little Easter extravaganza. Uh, You're here, you saw uh, two characters up here. Who can tell me what they were? On this side was a white rabbit, very attractive, my wife. And uh, then a yellow chick, uh, not so attractive. And uh, the, uh, no offense. And, um, and, and they were debating, they were talking through the Easter story and what's the meaning of Easter. And I thought it was interesting because their conclusion and their verse that they pointed to, I'm like, yeah, that's the same for adults as it is for kids. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple enough that a, that a chicken, a bunny can explain it to a group of kids and they're able to grasp that. But it's substantial enough that the wisest man refuses to bend his knee to that idea. Because why? Because why? Because if you're, what does it say that you're due? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Lord changes everything. Lord changes everything. It changes who's actually in the driver's seat. It changes who's making the calls. It changes who's directing your days and your life and your routine. Lord changes everything. My question for us this morning 
we have the offer for abundant life. What will we do with that offer? I'm going to take the next couple moments, and a lot of us are here this morning, and you're like, man, I embraced that offer a long time ago. Man, you can pray for somebody else in the room that has it. I want to take a couple minutes and give us the gift of a few moments of silence to wrestle through that. You can bow your heads. We can uh, go the traditional Baptist church route, bow, bow your heads, close your eyes. Take a moment and wrestle through that choice for a second. Can I point to a time that I accepted that offer? You can't say that you've done it and then be like, yeah, but I can't really remember. Imagine if I said I'm married, but I can't remember when it happened. Like, no, like it doesn't work like that. This is the opportunity. This is a chance. We have in the chairs in front of you, this is just a response mechanism if this is an offer that you're this morning, that you're like, this is going to be the, the morning, Easter 2015, that I embrace that free gift, I encourage you just in these moments, take out that card and say, you know what? I'm going to throw a band into the wind. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to hold up that card while this bald preacher's talking about it. And I'm going to say, yes, this is the morning I accept that offer. This is the morning that I embrace that free gift. Every person has to come to that conclusion, just like Paul pushed the philosophers of that day to say, hey, listen, you need to make a choice. The offer is on the table. I'm going to pray for us just as we conclude here. If during this last prayer, if that is a choice you're ready to make, just hold that up. Say, I'm going to, I'm going to make that choice today. I'm going to redirect my eternity. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for the Easter story that isn't just a story, it's an event. It's a factual, it's a historic happening where you came down, lived amongst us, lived the perfect life, the perfect sacrifice, died on a cruel Roman cross. So that why? So that we could have abundant life in you, in relationship, Staying within your parameters, eyes on the on eternity. God, we thank you for that. God, right now, I just pray over this room. If there's somebody that hasn't made that choice, that this might be the day that they actually hold up the card. Give a second now if somebody wants to do that. God, I thank you for the work that you've done on our behalf. You're an awesome, awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's what we celebrate here this morning is abundant life. When you start following me, you're like, man, there's no turning back, amen? Have a wonderful Easter. God bless you all.